The Relentless Forward podcast is brought to you by GI Associates. GI Associates is one of the largest gastroenterology clinics in the southeastern United States, and they have partnered with myself and us at Stinky Feet Athletics to um, promote the importance of um, early screening or timely screening um, for colon cancer. Um, as a colon cancer survivor, this is uh, personal for me, and um, I take it pretty seriously. So what we've done at Stinky Feet Athletics is we have a reward package. It's called the Happy Butt Package, and it means that if you schedule a colonoscopy with GI Associates, all you have to do after you finish that appointment is come to Stinky Feet, bring proof of your appointment, and we will give you about $100 worth of free stuff. It includes some cool products, some sunglasses, a lot of really cool stuff. So to take advantage of that, if you are over, if you're a Caucasian over 50, or if you're an African-American over 45, or if you're younger than that but have a history of colon cancer in your family, do this right now. Email stinkyfeet at gi.md. In the subject line, use the word stinkyfeet and ask them to schedule your appointment. And then, again, bring proof of that appointment to me and uh, us at Stinky Feet Athletics in Flowood, Mississippi. Or you can email me, uh, jeremy at stinkyfeetathletics.com, and we will get you uh, your reward package for doing so. Um, so, there's a couple interesting things going on uh, around here. Um, I am about eight days into a little test. I decided that uh, 2018 was going to be a year of testing myself, um, of trying new things, of exploring, and um, just seeing, um, you know, trying trying some different challenges to see how it affects my performance, and also to teach me things where when I lead my athletes, runners, triathletes, whoever it might be, I'll have some, um, you know, additional things that they might be able to try or things that I can recommend or not recommend to them based on my own experience. So what I'm doing is uh, a, a nutritional plan for 30 days. I started this on uh, April 16th. If you know me, uh, and if you don't, I'll tell you, I, I, have, I am not the strictest person with nutrition. Um, while I am relatively disciplined, I enjoy um, food. You know, when my kid has cake, at a birthday party, I want to eat some of that cake. Uh, and I like beer. I love craft beer. Um, so I'm not super strict about nutrition. I'm probably similar to a lot of runners out there who um, want to improve their performance and want to improve their nutrition, but really haven't found a good way to do that. It's, it's tougher. It's tough mentally. It's tough physiologically, especially if you're doing something like training for a marathon. You know, it's hard to... Uh, change the way you eat at that time because it can have an impact either positive or negative on your performance. So uh, in listening to a number of podcasts, the Joe Rogan podcast, some other shows, I'd come across something called the carnivore diet. Now in and of themselves, I don't like, you know, diets that necessarily, I think they, they set people up for failure. If somebody's going to try to do a ketogenic diet, if you can do it, that's great. Um, but moreover, I like nutritional plans and concepts that kind of guide you on a day-to-day -day basis. So this for me is a bit of a stretch. So I write about this carnivore diet, and essentially what it is is it's animal products almost exclusively, which means that it's 
high protein, high fat, low carb. And so I'm doing this for a couple reasons. I wanted to do 30 days. One, um, it's definitely not to prove the efficacy of this diet. I have no idea. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a dietitian. This is probably unhealthy. Um, it may not work, but I had a. I want to. I want to find a means to an end, and that end is that I want to improve my performance and take my nutrition performance to the next level. And I think for me to improve my personal performance, I need to take control of nutrition more. So I want to test myself and see if I can do that. So over the course of 30 days, starting on April 16th, I decided to kind of in, go into this carnivore diet. Now it's not that strict. Um, I am allowing myself some carbohydrates. Um, I don't want it to be set up for failure where it's all or nothing. Um, so for example, it was my birthday last week and my son's birthday and I had a cookie, I had a cupcake, I had a piece of cake over the course of three days. Um, so, but what I'm doing is I'm tracking metrics. I'm tracking performance metrics, biometrics, subjective metrics like mood and how I'm feeling and, you know, a little bit how I'm sleeping. Um, I'm testing my resting heart rate, my VO2 max, my bone density, muscle mass, hydration, body fat percentage, BMI, and then of course weight. And then um, at the same time, I keep track of some strength training and some endurance uh, metrics to see how I'm going to perform. So I'm doing that over 30 days. This is what I want to do. And when I said it was a means to an end is if what I'm thinking is there's probably a way if this is a good weight control, um, you know, task or weight new control plan, what I can do is before my next marathon training cycle, I can do something like this for 30 days, a strict 30 day nutrition plan, just like I would have a training plan to prepare for a marathon training. And this nutrition would then maybe lead to better body composition, lower body fat, maybe lower weight. Um, or at the very least, it would give me some options as to how I can control my nutrition and control my diet. So we'll go into this more at the end of this. I'm eight days in and um, things are going pretty well. I've actually lost about almost seven pounds. Not sure if that's good or bad. I feel pretty good. Um, and so I'll do a podcast about this, an episode where we where I talk about this. I'll probably bring um, a guest on to talk about it and talk, talk about what factors I may have encountered by doing this and how it works. But the big goal here is just to, you know, to, to learn, to test myself, to teach myself to control and be disciplined with my own nutrition. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and I suggest you check that out when it comes out. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about my RFP training program before we get started on today's show. And what I'm doing is my RFP training program, which stands for Relentless Forward Progress, has a number of different levels, depending on what your goals are. One level is RFP. We call it RFP Gold. It's a coaching level. And it's a level in which I coach a lot of athletes one-on-one -on -one for things like marathons, ultra marathons, Ironman triathlons, you know, smaller local triathlons. I've even trained people for a Spartan, Spartan um, beast race, things like that. And I've decided that I uh, want to take on about three more clients in my coaching program. And this is one-on-one -on -one individualized coaching. It's a cool program because you get a coach, you get uh, um, a lot of cool product, just some one-on-one -on -one attention and some other cool stuff. So if you're interested in hiring a coach, me, to help you achieve some of your goals starting this um, the rest of the spring, this summer, and the fall. Um, 
what I'd like you to do is email Jeremy at stinkyfeetathletics.com, and I'll get back to you. We can set up a meeting to talk about it. I'm going to take three more um, of clients coming up in the next month. Uh, that's probably about all I can handle really for now um, because it's just, uh, you know, it's so one-on-one. -on -one, it's pretty extensive. So um, today's podcast is going to be a unique one. It, this is going to be an interactive podcast, and the episode today is was recorded at last week's RFP coaching luncheon. Every month I do a luncheon where I bring in my coaching clients and we do some interactive coaching. I may do a presentation on some, uh, on some aspect of training, whether it's mental or physical um, or anything like that. It's any new research that's come out. It's anything I've gotten from books, from experts. Sometimes we'll bring a guest expert in. Um, and this podcast was, at, uh, I'm sorry, this coaching luncheon was actually called the myth of physiological limits. And what we did was we took a pretty deep dive down into what it takes to get the most out of yourself, um, physiologically, but we took the approach of how can we do that? What do we have to change mentally to get the most out of ourselves, um, physiologically? So this is going to be kind of an interactive podcast. If you're listening to this, um, like I said, it was recorded at the coaching luncheon. You're going to want to have a piece of paper um, or your phone with you where you can make some notes because we're going to talk about some topics. I'm going to give you some tactical examples of things you can actually do today that will that you can use to impact your performance or your mental approach and basically to up your game and up your performance. So you're going to want a piece of paper, your notes on your phone, your iPad, whatever it might be. Um, I'll also put a link to the document that my coaching clients used in the luncheon, um, and it's a, it it has um, you know it it shows the actual questions on here that we're going to try to answer. So this is a good this was a good luncheon because it's really a workshop, and this would be good for you. It's a workshop where you can really stop and think about your performance, the things you want to do, the things you want to focus on, and it takes kind of a unique angle and unique approach on how to achieve some things. And I think you're really going to like it. So again, it's an interactive podcast, interactive podcast episode, The Myth of Physiological Limits. I thank you for listening to the uh, Relentless Forward podcast. Again, if you're interested in some coaching, email jeremy at stinkypeatathletics.com. And uh, I hope you enjoy the program. We'll talk to you soon. All right, so what we're going to talk about today is... We are going to address the myth of physiological limits. As you know, if you were at the last uh, luncheon, we talked about um, one of the one of the things we talked about was physiological limits, and we gave examples of. Were you you were here for that one, weren't you? You missed that one. So what we did was I gave examples of <clears throat> um, different types of. Uh, uh, extreme achievement and so I gave examples of survival type extreme achievement and then selective and we looked at what the correlations were between the two so my examples were people that uh, like my one example is Aaron Ralston got trapped in a canyon in Utah and was trapped there for five or six days and then he eventually had to break his own arm. He was trapped in a, underneath the boulder. He had to break his own, own arm, cut his own arm off. And then we compared that, like, that extreme type of achievement with what people could actually do selectively and how there's really, like, a, 
you know you don't have to cut your own arm off to achieve a lot but there's kind of a strong correlation between the between the two so what that brought up was a lot of questions about physiological limits and whether they're real how real they are and whether the ones that we think we have are real or if they're a myth so we wanted to talk a little bit more today about the myth of physiological limits <clears throat> and as part of this we're going to actually do this as a little workshop where we're going to identify some of our limiters we're going to tackle different ways to that we can overcome some of these so what we want to talk about here now there's obvious there's obvious ways to overcome physiological limitations in that there's you can train more you know if you want to overcome your physical limitation of what, how far you can run running more will get you there you can run more but that but there's a limit to what we can physically do because our mind is really controlling what our bodies are do your mind is really in the end what's controlling and saying no you've reached your limit but you really haven't physically you haven't reached your limit but your brain is telling you you have so the best way to override this is to override your brain telling you that your body is uh is done because it's not and clearly it's not and with the, with the examples we used in the extreme achievement one um, a, uh, presentation kind of show that because they had their brain had said the only way you're going to live is if you do this or if you do that and some people have managed to take some of that aspect that survival mentality and bring it into their everyday life so we're going to explore some ways to use our minds to expand our physiological limits and today the goal is to have some strategy to find a strategy and use some actual tactics that we can adopt today um, to do that so we are going to talk so what is a physiological limit well I kind of just described it um, Matt Fitzgerald the author that wrote how bad do you want it and some other um, books has talked about imagine your physiological limits are at the far end of a long and narrow room so like the room we're in it's long and narrow but between you and that far wall where your physiological limits limits are is hot coals it's a fire walk and every time you try to walk across those coals how far can you get how close can you get to your limits before you have to give up because you've reached your pain threshold and then what factors can you use to overcome that to overcome that pain to to get all the way across and get as close to your limits as you can so physiological limits are really flexible um, they're elastic they're not always the same you can train them higher you can train them lower um, but for the most part, nobody really, very few people ever reach their physiological limits. You just don't. I mean, a good example in, in the book Endure was from a running coach, and he was talking about how he had people who had, he had athletes he had coached, and they had finished a really, really hard workout. And then he said, they all said, nope, I'm done. I'm physiologically, I've reached my limit, I'm complete. And he said, well, what would you do if a bear ran out of the woods to try to eat you right now? I bet you'd be able to run. And he's right, you know, so if, I mean, if, if a pack of wolves came after you at the end of your workout, like at our track workout last night, you'd still be able to at least run a little bit. You'd find that you're not at your physiological limits. So they're elastic. They change based on your motivational intensity and your training. And, and there's a lot of factors that go into where, how close you can get to your physi physiological limits. So the first thing we're going to do today is we are going to find... We're going to identify one of our own physiological limits. And so a 
physiological limit like can be things like how far can you run that's probably my biggest one is because i like to run the most is how far i can run it's the one i struggle with and i come up against the most how far can i run how fast can i run that um, those that's the physiological limit i come up against the most you know some other options could be how many hours of aerobic work can you do you know if you're a triathlete how many hours can you go or if you want to do the Fonder and Urban Ultra, you know, 12 hours, run as far as you can. How much aerobic work can you do? You know, that's your physiological limiter. How much weight can you lift? How many times can you do it? How fast can you recover and train again? How much can you suffer before you quit? Think of the firewalk. And how well do you fuel your efforts? These are just, a, everybody probably has a different little physiological limiter. Um, that, and it probably depends on what you're training for, what your goals are what you do on a weekly basis. So I want you to write down and identify what your biggest physiological limiter is. That means, you you know, is it is it running farther? Is it is it training, time, commitment? Is it family support? Um, you know, just what, maybe not family, just go back. So physiological limit, like how far can you run? How many hours of aerobic work can you do? You know, how many miles can you run? Whatever your just identify there's probably more than one just identify one thing that limits you that you think you know is your physiological limit or has a physiological limit <clears throat> run all right so now we've identified your limiter Pam looks like she's thinking about it so let's go into a little bit more about what factors affect your where you run into your physio what you think is your physiological limit so some factors that can affect your physical physiological limits and i just chose all the most common ones i could think of or that i see with athletes those are things like heat heat is a big one of course i put that first because that's my that's the biggest factor that impacts how far i can run almost always it's, there's other factors too training volume hydration stress levels other things that, that come into that but the biggest limiter for me is heat so again other these factors heat training volume is it hydration stress level what we're looking for here is the number one factor that impacts your physiological limit as you wrote down it could be time constraints it could be gear it could be the wrong bike maybe the wrong shoes um, genetics, maybe you think you're not a runner. I'm not a cyclist. I'm not a swimmer. So could it be age? Yeah, it could probably be, yeah, definitely be age for sure. Family support, commitment level. So write down which factor causes your limiter. Which obviously does not apply to you. <laughs> it does. All right. So what we're trying to do here is we're going to open your mind for some new ideas. We're going to try to find the answers. We're going to try to find the answers to address how you can tackle these factors and these physiological limits. <clears throat> so what we're looking for here are the answers to all your problems or at least what you can do today to solve these problems. So what you can do to solve these factors and to break your physical physiological limits. What I found is... Uh, in, in studying this topic, and I learned this in the book Endure by Alex Hutchinson, is that there are multiple, people have tons of different limiters and tons of different factors that come in, but the interesting thing is that the actual solutions for that almost all apply 
there's like one solution that applies to four or five different limiters. There's another solution that applies. In other words, there's not a specific solution or a specific answer for every limiter. And what that is, is it means that it's if it's all in your brain, it's your brain in the end that's controlling all your physiological limits. So what we're going to try to do today is actually get tactical and identify what we can actually do to expand our physiological limits. I put this quote up here. It doesn't really fit totally in with what we're about to talk about, but I wanted to get it in here somewhere because I always think about this. Willpower, I think somebody's trying to get in. Willpower is a muscle. And I like this quote because willpower is clearly a mental, it's a mental thing. It's something that some people think they have and some people think they don't have. And we all have some willpower, and some people seem to have more willpower than others. Pam here, who's a coaching client, seems to have unending willpower because she almost never misses a workout, no matter how hard the workout is. So she has willpower, but she's also probably trained that way. She's probably Some of that's natural, but some of it is she's trained that way, and that's the way you've exercised that willpower muscle, and it's strong. And so... Um, when, when workouts come up, your willpower is so strong, it, it hasn't really become a factor. So you've tackled that limiting factor. So let's talk about, let's get tactical and talk about some of the actual things you can do. We're going to identify five things you can actually do today, starting today, that will help you expand your physiological limits. So one thing <clears throat> we talked about before is, I, I titled this, Get Positively Subliminal. And... This came from, and I believe in this, this came from um, Tim Noakes. I referenced this in a previous podcast. Tim Noakes is a um, you know, sports science uh, scientist, for lack of a better term. And he did a study a long time ago, and I don't know all the particulars about how they did the study, but it, basically what they did was they put cyclists on bikes, on a trainer, and told them to ride to exhaustion. I'm sure they had some controls about how this was all going to work. But in this study... For half the riders, and they repeated this study many times, it's been proven to be true, but half the riders would see subliminal imagery of smiling faces. And these smiling faces would only come on for a sixteenth of a second, which was long enough for their brain to register, but not long enough for their eyes to see it, so they consciously did not register it. And then they did the opposite to the second half of the group. They gave them frowny faces, or in some cases, negative imagery, negative words, in fact. Like they, at one point they did it, the positive ones just said yes or good or good job, and the other ones said bad, just negative things that you couldn't even register. And the time to exhaustion in the group that saw the positive imagery was repeatedly significantly higher than the people that saw the negative reactions or the negative uh, images. And it, I, my understanding is it's never really been even close. It was so significant that it's incredibly noteworthy that... If you just surround yourself with positivity and remove negative imagery, it's going to have a positive impact on your, on your training, and it's going to help you expand your physiological limits. So one of the things you can actually do is remove negativity that holds you back. And even if you don't have something specifically negative in your life, you could have a lack of positive things surrounding you. So one way to tackle that is to surround yourself with positive imagery. You know, a lot of people put up their, they have a metal rack where they put up their medals. They have um, things on the wall that show their accomplishments. I have on my desk at home about 10 or 15 books 
that just sit on my desk that are I picked them out because they're just the books that are the things I'm most interested in and the, the things that if I, I just if I'm just sitting there and I want to I just look at a book I think oh this is I want to see what I can get out of this one it's just a positive environment I have a picture of my wife she's here today but I have a picture of my wife next to me it's positive imagery if you go in my garage in the man cave I have an area where I've celebrated some of my accomplishments and that's generally where I start and finish most of my workouts and I've surrounded myself with positive imagery um, this is probably not a quantifiable you know unless you did a test like like Noakes did it's probably not a, a quantifiable factor but I think overall you have to find ways to remind yourself of what you can do and what you have done and the positive things that you want to get out of it. So a tactical example would be, you know, like for me, I, I kind of took these tactical examples, which I'm going to do for each one of these. The tactical example is really something, These are most of these are personal, like something I would have to do or I would have to think. So for me, I often doubt my own abilities. I get really frustrated when training is going poorly or I don't feel like I can do my workout. So what I want to do is before the workout, I need to find something that makes me happy. I need to look at pictures of myself crossing the finish line or at a happy time in life. And this reminds you of your why. You have to remember your why. If you listen to my last podcast episode with Mike McElroy, we talked about finding your why. Like, why are you doing this? And if you remember that, that's usually going to be something positive. Nobody's doing this for a negative. Nobody does this kind of stuff for a negative reason, like unless you're you know, trying to show up your neighbor and be a better athlete than them even that could potentially be positive uh, but this reminds you of your why you remember this during your workout for a little mental boost so your next step is going to be identify and write down one negative factor that you need to remove from your life that could be a tough one so that's why i gave you the, the caveat that you could write down it could be the absence of positivity so if you have you surrounded yourself with positive imagery, have you sur- surrounded yourself with positive people? Are there negative people that need to be removed from your life? Are there, you know, is there negative relationships or relationships that need to be affected? I know this is kind of a deep topic. You don't have to share this with everybody, but you know, you have to find a way to remove negativity and become positive. While you're thinking about that, and this doesn't have to be that, I mean, it could just be, you know, your diabetic dog really brings you down because when you go for a run, he always urinates on the floor. So it doesn't have to be anything too serious. All right. So that's about how to stay positive. And what we look at there is that positive negative imagery can have a clear impact on your physiological abilities. I mean, they, this they've proven that with in running you know that if you smile i said this on my race rules for years when you are running and you are struggling and you're having a terrible time if you force yourself to smile and they've had studies that prove this too your body will positively react when you force yourself to smile i mean i think this is pretty common knowledge you know if you try to smile you're going to feel better if you're walking around frowning you feel terrible so use that this all has to be very intentional also like these are really small things and the likelihood of all these things making a huge difference is 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 small the likelihood of these things making a little small difference a three or four percent improvement in in your training and your physiological improvements is worth it i mean a three or four percent improvement over your lifetime is a pretty big deal and you're going to get a lot of satisfaction out of that so 
The other one that we need to do is called non-judgmental self-analysis. And this one's tough um, because it really needs to be non-judgmental. And one thing that, uh, not to toot my own horn, but I've always been good at is non-judgmental self-analysis. I can look at weaknesses that I have and accept them and not beat myself up about it. I don't get a negative image of myself because of something that is a weakness of mine. So what we're trying to do here is we're trying to identify weaknesses and then make a plan to solve them. And we're trying to do this detached. We're trying to look at this from a from a third-party perspective that has nothing to do with our self-worth, our self-value, anything like that. So it could be things like, you know, for me, my body composition needs to be better, or I've just missed too many workouts, or I'm lazy, or I, I don't think my training is working. Um, you need to just really detach yourself and judge, judge your own performance and the, and the weaknesses and strengths you have and just look at them dispassionately. Um, Tim Ferriss does a podcast, and he talked about stoicism recently a lot. And you can become a stoic, and people probably know the word stoic, and you think it's just somebody who's very unemotional, and that's kind of true. But when you're doing non-judgmental self-analysis, what you want to do is become a stoic. You want to become someone who can withstand pain or discomfort without emotion or judgment. And so what that means is you can look at a – and I don't always do this. I've had a lot of times where I had a bad run and – I was not doing non-judgmental self-analysis. I was extremely angry, and I was like, I must be lazy. I ate wrong. I'm stupid. There's a lot, a lot of things that make you like, really undermine your own self-worth. But in the end, you have to back away, and you have to do some non-judgmental self-analysis. So a tactical example for me, this is an example um, that I'm dealing with. I need better body composition. And what I mean by that is um, I'm not overweight by any stretch, but... I want to run a Boston qualifying marathon time. And I've gotten very close a few times. And my biggest limiter, based on my own records and my own data, is my weight. I don't, you, most runners who run pretty fast are pretty small, small people. Um, and I'm just not. I'm 5'10, I'm right now about 185 pounds. I like to be fit and strong. I lift some weights and I like to eat. So that combination kind of precludes me from being a 160-pound runner because that's I've done it before. I've been really light, but then that, that's when I've run my fastest. But it's tough because everybody with their weight, with how you look, is it's really hard to analyze that from a non-judgmental point of view. Like we all struggle with that. Women, I know, do. Men really do too. Like we all do. None of us think we look good with our shirts off. Um, but we need to manage it. So I believe that my weight, my body fat percentage is holding me back from achieving my goals. It's having a negative impact on my training, both physically and emotionally. I get frustrated when I can't run in the heat. And I think if, I'm, if I was five pounds lighter, this heat wouldn't affect me as much. If I didn't carry this much muscle mass, I'd probably be able to run a lot faster. It's a tough balance. I know that I need to teach myself better nutrition habits. And in fact, I've started a little 30-day nutrition challenge in an effort to tackle what is for me the next step which is body composition body weight i have to find a way to create a nutrition plan that matches with my goals and right now they don't match my nutrition and 
Um, my what I do on a daily basis, I lift weights, I do a lot of stuff. It's kind of all to not lose weight or to get a whole lot leaner, but I need to. So I need to balance it out, but I need to be non-judgmental about this. So what I want you to do next is write down one painful truth you need to change to improve. And that painful truth can be, I need to lose weight, I need better body composition, I need to teach myself better nutrition habits, I'm lazy, I don't like to get out of bed in the morning, I skip too many workouts. You know, it could be anything that is a painful truth, non-judgmental, there's no dent on your self-worth here. Write down one painful truth that you need to change to improve. Has everybody done that? Have you done that? Okay. All right. So the next thing we're going to talk about is you got to suffer to get tougher. And before we go too far into this, let's talk about what I mean when I say suffer. I don't mean suffer like emotionally. This you got to really suffer and be in a terrible place. What I mean here is you're going to physically have to suffer some if you really want to get tougher and if you want to expand your physiological limits. You, nobody, nobody ever gets through a marathon or a 50K or an Ironman and in it by just going easy and not pushing their limits at all. You have to suffer. Everybody, and this, there's, there's value in this suffering too. Um, everybody you hear that does some big accomplishment, whatever it is, something that pushes their physiological limits or expands them, every single one of them will say, man, that was hard. I suffered. That was the hardest thing I ever did. Well, they didn't get to that by not suffering in training or not suffering at any time. They actually taught themselves to suffer. Science tells us that you and that endurance athletes have some of the highest pain tolerance of anybody. And the reason is they suffer. They get tougher because they suffer a lot. They put themselves through some pain. They put themselves through discomfort. They get, they pursue suffering, like I say here, pursue suffering because of the effort it entails and not in spite of it. And because of this, physiological limits are elastic. They can be expanded through increased pain tolerance. Um, so to try to get tougher, to suffer more, you need to be creative in your suffering. Um, you need to probably, I like and I advocate for doing something that would probably be considered unwise based on conventional thinking. Pam laughed at that one. She must that must have struck a struck a chord or something. But you know, I said this in a previous uh, coaching lunch, and conventional thinking gets conventional results. If you just if you want conventional results, then just do the conventional thing. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There is very little chance you're going to really blow past your current physiological limit if you just do the conventional stuff. So you have to think, and I like this term, you have to think outside the box. You have to get unconventional. One of those things that people do, simplest one, is just train when you're mentally fatigued. The first fallback most of us have is when we're mentally fatigued. What's that? Always there. Mm-hmm. Always mentally fatigued? Yes. Then good. That makes you tougher. And there's tests and science has shown that People that train when they're mentally fatigued get more out of their training because it's harder. We all know that. If you're stressed from work, you have a deadline, you got something that's worrying you, it's a lot harder. The perception of effort when you're stressed or mentally fatigued is way harder than when you're not. I mean, everybody always talks about run happy. I think Brooks' motto is run happy. And it all comes together. You, 
if you're unhappy, it's really hard to run happy. It's hard to bike happy. It's hard to feel happy. It's just not there. And some, and it's kind of a circular thing. If you don't go out, if you're mentally and physically fatigued, and it precludes you from going out and doing your workouts and running, you're going to feel even worse. If you get out and do it, it's really hard to do it. But generally, when you do, you're going to feel better. Um, so you got to suffer a little bit if you really want to get tougher. If you want to expand your physiological limits, you're going to have to hurt. And that's just that's just the fact. So, again, this is my tactical example. So I've the most miles I've ever run in a week is not that impressive. It's probably 65 miles. But so an, an example of what you could do to suffer a little bit. I want to run, I really want to run 100 miles in a week. Now, for a professional or elite level runner, that's not that much. But for me, that's a whole lot. <clears throat> so this is how I'm going to tackle that. I would t- this is a tactical example of of teaching myself to suffer. I'm going to pick a week. I'm going to adjust my schedule so I can set a record for the most volume in a one-week span. You will, If you do this, you will suffer. You will feel discomfort. You will feel pain. You will probably feel mental fatigue. You're going to have a lot of doubt. Um, but what this will do is this will break the limit of what seems possible and will likely result in growing stronger. And again, this goes back to my unconventional thinking or doing something that's probably would considered unwise. You know, if you read the Runner's World running pamphlet, they'll tell you only increase mileage by 10% per week. It's very cookie cutter. It's very conventional. And if you want to break your physiological limits, don't do conventional. This is unconventional. Find a way to teach yourself to suffer. Learn to suffer. You're going to love it, frankly. (laughs) People love talking about their suffering. All you got to do is ask somebody about the last race they did, and they're like, oh, it's terrible. They don't tell you about the first mile when they felt fantastic and they were running too fast. Well, if, they will tell you that, if only to explain how badly they felt later. So, I mean, people love to talk about the suffering. We love to suffer. It's just something we do. We get, it's, it, may, it, it increases the value of what you're doing. So, your next step is to write down one way you are going to teach yourself to suffer. Just one unconventional idea, something you thought about before, something you haven't thought about before, something that's probably not recommended by most people. Could be one really long run, one really long bike ride. An example I use is last year I did the, a fundraising bike ride in Ohio. Did a hundred mile ride, hundred and two mile ride one day, and a seventy eight mile ride the day after. I didn't really intend it to happen this way, but I did almost zero cycling training up to that. I think I rode a total of maybe eight miles in the, I wrote, I did one eight mile run about two weeks before this ride, or I'm sorry, I did one eight mile ride about two weeks before this ride. And it was not a good ride because I rode about four miles to my friend's gym, Mike McElroy's gym, walked inside, talked to him for about an hour, then got back back on my bike and moseyed on home. That was my training ride. So this was unconventional. It hurt. I suffered a lot. But I had mental clarity. I knew I wanted to do it. It was unconventional. I knew people, other people, and you, this is okay to say, I knew other people were watching and were like, that's a terrible idea. That's going to be this. Is like people kind of want to watch. It's like watching a movie. Like this, how's this going to end up? But then when you actually accomplish it, people are like, "Wow, that was that was pretty cool." And then you feel really good about it too. And also last summer, I did a I did a I attempted a forty mile run. I only made it thirty seven miles, to which a lot of my friends give me endless amounts of grief. 
because I quit with three miles to go, but I really had reached my limits. But that was not, it was not wise. It, was, it would not come out of the runner's world pamphlet. It was not something that any coach almost would ever say, that's a good idea, go do that. So has everyone written down? Yeah. All right, so the next thing we're going to talk about <clears throat> is controlling what you can control. And this seems obvious, but I'm not sure everybody always does it. And what I, what I think needs to happen here is these are areas you really need to be intentional about. Claire probably knows this. I tend, this could fall into the category of overthinking things a little bit, maybe. But I generally put a lot of thought into all my training cycles, my training cycles for my clients, and I try to just control the things they control, and I try to pass along just to control the things you can control, and then you have to let everything else go. Just things you can't control, just let it go. you got to just forget about it. It's not your control. You just deal with it with a smile, deal with it with a laugh. Um, now, ways you can control what you can control. Improve fundamentals in each discipline. And then this is running. If this is running, you know, Ben and Claire, I know, and I don't know if Pam's gotten hers, but we, you have the Torrent IQ shoes. And they're really nice because they tell you a little bit about what you need to improve on or imbalances you might have, mine too, imbalances you might have in your running gait. So most people just, they think, oh, your running is just running, but they're not controlling what you can't control. You can control your running economy. You can control your cycling economy. You can control your swimming ability by working on fundamentals. Um, and I think a lot of people just let that go. They just kind of like, oh, I'll just I'll run. And, you know, improved fundamentals could be stretching after a workout. A lot of people skip the stretching after a workout or they don't warm up properly beforehand, and they're not controlling what they can control. So you have to get yourself in the proper gear, the proper nutrition, the proper gadgets you need to succeed, the proper training. Um, you have to manage the impact that outside, outside factors have on your training time. So if you can control your time, if, if your schedule is just so busy and the only time you can work out is 5 a.m. and you want to expand your physiological limit and you want to achieve what you want to achieve, you have to manage that time. This could be as easy as make a nutrition and hydration plan for your workout. There are so many people that run half marathons and marathons and even Ironman training, they have no nutrition and hydration plan for their workout. And they, they just haven't thought a lot about it. They haven't put much thought in it. They just think, ah, oh, it's not that important. Well, that can have a 3 5 10% impact on your performance. Um, and so just controlling what you can control is a huge step. So let's talk about a tactical example. Like I just said, it could be, I don't know, how the, your problem could be, I don't know how to handle nutrition on long workouts. Um, I just mentioned this, but I cannot even tell you. The number is in the hundreds of people that have told me they do long runs in marathon training and they never eat or drink anything. It's at, I'm shocked by it because it is a strong preponderance of people that do that, that don't do anything at all. And they think they're fine. They don't think they're making any mistakes. But they're, what they're doing is their performance might not lag so much while they're doing the run, but what happens is they don't feel as good the rest of the day. They don't recover as quickly because their nutrients are all, their whole, everything's out of balance. So all they'd have to do is to take some steps to control that. They have to just make a nutrition plan that includes pre-workout, in-workout, post-workout. Really, in this case, just in-workout. Just figure out what works 
and just do it. Just make it happen. You have to control what you can't control. One of the things you could do is create a journal of your own nutrition. Track how you felt before, during, and after workouts. I did this for my Ironman training in 2014. I kept track of my workouts, and I would just note how I felt. And I didn't finish it the whole way because eventually I got to where I, I had a pretty down pat, so I just did, it wasn't that noteworthy all the time. But I've seen it on long runs, especially in, in summer, where if I slack on my nutrition at all, it has a big negative impact on my performance that day, and it has even a bigger impact on recovery. Um, you'll, you always hear people how they ran. My first time I ever ran 10 miles, and then they spend the rest of the day on the couch, just mostly unconscious. Most of that comes because their in-run nutrition was inadequate, or their pre, pre-run nutrition. Um, then the, So if you do that, you'll find a pattern of what works and doesn't work. So write down an area in which you currently run. So it's not a lie if you believe it's true. This was a quote from George Costanza. If anybody's a Seinfeld fan, you will remember this, that George, that's kind of an ongoing theme. But the interesting thing was that a lot of studies show that people who simply believe, who believe their own lies, people who believe they are better than they actually are, improve significantly faster than people who doubt their own abilities. And I don't know how, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know how they structure these tests or these studies, but it's proven that people who, who, I can't remember exactly how they set it up, but it was basically they asked people beforehand, how do you think you're going to do? Or how good, you know, they did some qualifying questions to say, how good do you think you are? How good are you going to do? And basically the people that said they were going to do better did better. Even if they were just lying to themselves, they have no basis for that. Um, I said here, buy into the hype, even if it's all your own. Just hype yourself up about how good you are in your head. It sounds kind of silly, but you don't have to compare how good you are relative to how good everybody you think is. You know what I mean? Like if you, everybody who thinks, everybody looks at their own running ability or their speed on a bike or whatever, and they always think that they're like the fastest of the slow people. Like, everybody else in front of me is really fast. Someday I'll be one of those fast people. But everybody behind you is looking at you like you're somebody fast. So just believe your own hype. Like, make it up that you are the fastest and you are the best. And someday you're going to get there. So this goes into what we talked about last time, which was make a plan to chase an unrealistic goal. I know Ben was here last time and Claire was here. and we We set some unrealistic goals. We talked about... Picking an unreasonable, unrealistic goal that you have very little chance of ever achieving. So what you want to do, though, is have a plan for how you think you can get there. Even if it's 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, try to make a plan to chase your unrealistic goal. Set an unrealistic goal and chase it. So Ben just came back. So to to back up, we were talking about studies that show that people who believe they are better then are actually improve faster and have better performances than people who doubt themselves. So I said, I quoted George Costanza from Seinfeld and said, if it's not a lie, if you believe it's true. And Ben, for you, let's go back one. Um, you need to write down, we were talking about controlling what you can control. You need to write down an area in which you do not take control. So my example of this was, um, people not taking control of their nutrition during long workouts and just letting it up to chance or seeing how they feel instead of having a plan. So write down an area in which you do not take control. And then after that, you're going to take George Costanza here 
and you're going to write down one lie about yourself that you'd like to be true. So, you know, you want to be, I can't even think of really a good example. You have to believe that you're faster than they are or than you are. One lie about yourself. Oh, example, the heat doesn't bother me. The heat bothers me terribly. I have been try I'm somehow going to convince myself and I'm going to make an action plan to where that actually becomes true someday, where the heat's not going to bother me. Now, this might take some actual intentional actions about how to cool myself, how to fool myself with hydration, how to handle nutrition. But this is a lie about myself, and I want you to start repeating this to yourself so often that you're eventually going to believe that it's true. You're going to be like a little George Costanza. All right, <clears throat> so next actions. You now have on your list uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or eight items. So you now know what your biggest limiter is. You know we've talked about what factor causes this limiter. Now we're going to talk about how are you going to overcome this limiter. So on your sheet, I want you to go to the one that says factor causing this limiter. Whatever you wrote down, I want you to write down a plan for how you're going to overcome that limiter. Um, the, there's a group of guys, I think they're 70, 70 plus years old, and they... It's just a group of guys from around the country that have formed this little club, and they all do Ironman triathlons. And what they'll do is they, they have a meeting or they get in a call together, and they'll plan out who's going to go to which race. And what that does is they can all then qualify for Kona because if they're the only one in their age group there. But really, that sounds like a little shady, but it's really pretty impressive because there's a reason there's not that many people in the 70 to 79 age group doing Ironman triathlons because they're really hard. You have to have a lifetime of consistency. you got to be really strong and fit. Frankly, they're more impressive than the 30 to 39-year-old age group who are young and they haven't had the ravages of aging like the rest of us have. So I think that's really, that's really impressive. All right. So you've identified a number one negative factor in your life. All right, so now what you're going to write on that line is how are you going to remove this negative factor in your life? I love Nike's slogan of just do it. I really like that's it's quiet. I don't know if they don't still use that, do they? But it is really yeah. just the I've always loved that one. It's just genius. It's just do it. Just stop thinking about it and just do it. That's what you see a lot of people, there's, people fall into two categories when they first start running. They fall into the people who just overthink it, and they fall into the people who just do it. And you can, you'll see as a coach, you'll find, you, I almost always categorize almost everybody that comes into our training program almost instantly. They're a just overthinker or they're a just do it. And there are people, generally the just do it people, end up staying in the program for a long time. They get the most value out of it. They use the program for all its perks and benefits and all the things you get out of it. And there's other people that just overthink it and they want someone else to do it for them. And you can just categorize. I mean, Nike was genius with that. Just do it. There's people that just they just don't want to do it. They want to talk about doing it, but they don't actually want to do it. What all right, so... You what? I'll let you think about that. I think I think you know. I think you know. All right. So we just do a category by my husband. Yeah. All right. So 
The next thing you've you've written down is one painful truth about yourself. And so what we want to write now is what are you going to do to change your painful truth about yourself? That's that's an acceptable answer. I don't think there's any wrong answers here. You're not going to be graded on this afterwards. You can take this home for yourself. Analysis, the non non-judgmental self-analysis. Yeah, so what we're talking about here with painful truth is there's probably things that are true about you that you don't like and that thinking about them makes you uncomfortable. So the only way to really analyze it without getting down on yourself is to be non-judgmental self and out. You got to be like a robot just saying this is what I'm not doing well and this is what I'm going to do to change it. And you started by saying that a lot of times you have all these issues and there's one there are a lot of times there's just one thing that applies to all of it and it keeps going back to the same thing. I'm going to say this and don't record it. You were right. It's already recording. Okay. No. I was right. I was right. My wife just said I was right. I don't know. I didn't hear that. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Didn't oh, it's that. it's gonna be rec- it's recorded now. All right. This is this next one is a fun one. So uh, we talked about suffer to get tougher. So in what way? This is what you're gonna write down. In what way will I suffer to get tougher? This is an actual thing you're going to do that is going to make you suffer a lot. <laughs> but you're gonna do it. It's gonna be mentally bad it's going to be physically really hard but when you're done you're going to be super proud of yourself and it should have a high likelihood of failure and then sometime you're going to pick a time which we'll talk about in a second you're going to pick a time to when you're actually going to do this and you're just going to, or you can just do it whenever you're ready there's a this idea well, two things. One, this has always just been something I've liked to do. My first, my, I signed up for a marathon having never done a 5K and could only run a few miles, if you even call it that. So it's just, I guess I was one of the people in the Nike category that fall into the just do it because I was like, ah, oh, I can do that. And there's a lot of people, you'll see a lot of people that just see someone else do something and they look at themselves and are like, I can't do this right now, but I know someday I can do that. But there's a guy named uh, Kyle Korver. Kyle Korver is from Pella, Iowa. Ben probably knows Pella, Iowa. And Kyle played at Creighton University in Omaha basketball, and now he plays in the NBA. He's been in the NBA for maybe eight or nine or ten years. And he does a thing every year with these other guys. I don't know who these guys are. But they call it, I don't know how to pronounce it, but they call it a Masogi or Masoji Challenge. And it's something they do. It's one day a year where they get together and they do something that is really, really extreme, dangerous, and ridiculous. So one, a few years ago, one thing they did was they went out to California. I don't know where. But they were in the ocean. They took a boat out in some clear water where the water was maybe 15, 20 feet deep. And they dropped a rock down into the water. And they took turns diving down into the water picking up the rock and carrying it and they carried it for a 5k so they did a 5k carrying a boulder underwater and it just i mean it seems really ridiculous but they all they did it as kind of this 
limit breaking, um, personal sacrifice challenge, team building, all that kind of stuff. They just try to do some interesting stuff. And I've, I read that years ago, and I always see the pattern in some of the things that a lot of endurance athletes do. They want to do things that are pretty ridiculous and pretty extreme. We just have an innate desire to do that kind of stuff. And chances are, if you're sitting here today, that resonates with you because otherwise you probably wouldn't be sitting here today talking about it. All right, so has everybody written down which way they're going to suffer to get tougher? Yes, class? Yes. Okay. All right, the next one you're going to do, you're going to, you identified what you do not control, and you need to identify what you are going to do to take control of that. Again, this is tactical, so what we're trying to do is actionable items, things you can actually do, not vague concepts. That was fast. Ben just said, check, this is what I'm going to do. It all kind of went with the uh, point I laid out for a limiting factor. That's what all Just tied together. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what mine said too. That's what I'm saying. So at this point, the recording during the coaching luncheon cut off. We were just about to answer um, the question of one area that you don't control. Um, so write that down and then write a plan for how you're going to address that and how you're going to take control of an area which you don't control. And that will do it for the RFP Coaching Luncheon and this interactive podcast. I want to thank you for listening to it. I know it was a little choppy with the conversations um, in the room, but you know it was recorded live. And it was a workshop, so that's just how it's going to be. But I hope that you found some uh, interesting and useful, you know, actions in here. Some some tactics you can employ. Some things to think about that you may not have thought about before that can help you expand your limits, push your physiological limits more by using just your brain, which could change your approach to how you do things. So thank you for listening. Again, if you are interested in coaching, one-on-one coaching, if you have a half marathon, a marathon, if you want to do a half Ironman triathlon or just become a triathlete um, this triathlon season, email me directly. It's jeremy at stinkyfeetathletics.com. And uh, I will get back to you and we'll talk about how we can work together. It's a really wonderful coaching program. You get a lot of great coaching. If I do say so myself, you get it, not just me, but you get our other coach, Ashley, to work with you on strength and mobility. You also, since we're affiliated with a great running shoe store or run specialty business, we can provide a lot of really cool products and uh, cool bonuses that you get for being a member of the program. So uh, email Jeremy at stinkfitathletics.com for that. Thank you for listening to the Relentless Forward podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Got to run.